I think what people sort of forget is that it's never going to look the same as you continue to grow. You got to keep growing with the business. You got to get smarter about your finances. You got to get smarter about what your customer wants. And so I think that's also true for how you recruit the people that you're pitching. It's a really fun and interesting dance. Jen Batchelor is a serial entrepreneurista and the founder of Kin Euphorics, a line of non-alcoholic functional beverages designed using ingredients that nourish the mind and body. Jen launched Kin to transform the drinking culture and provide the sober curious a sexy alternative to booze. After being the first Latina woman to raise over $15 million for a beverage company and partnering with supermodel Bella Hadid, Jen is just getting started. Coming up, learn how Jen's upbringing and family influenced Ken Euphorics. The wildest launch story you've ever heard. Why Jen isn't worried about the competition. And finally, the secret key to developing an in-demand product. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Jen, we are so thrilled to sit down with you this afternoon and hear all about your entrepreneurista journey and story, founding the company Kin that Courtney can attest to. She is like a huge Kin drinker now. She's like all in. <laughs> right, Court? Yeah, definitely love, love Kin. Wish I had it with me right now. I can definitely use a little afternoon pick me up. <laughs> but we know, we know it's been a long journey to get where you are today. Did you always know when you were growing up as a child that you wanted to start your own business one day? Not at all. No. I mean, there was a lot of enterprising going on in my family for sure. And, you know, my parents are my absolute heroes watching them do their thing. My dad, I mean, he worked a full-time job still to this day. The man should be like nearing retirement age and he has a full-time job. He has a side hustle. I think my parents just can't help themselves. So living in that energy, it, you know, was definitely contagious, but not necessarily aspirational. You know, I think for me, it was like, all right, y'all, you have to work this hard because y'all didn't go to school. And then, you know, my mom, then they ended up pursuing higher ed. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go get two degrees, go pre-law, get that corner office and coast, coast, coast. And then my first job, I'm like, oh, right. This is not the vibe. <laughs> I mean, I loved it. I loved being in my little power suit and, you know, doing the thing. I, my first job, I was barely 21 years old. So I graduated college before drinking age. And I felt really, really privileged to have a job. And my first job was in banking. But I just knew it wasn't aligned with who I was internally and that I really, really was a service provider. I really wanted to provide solutions and ideas and things that, you know, maybe weren't being provided by the traditional company. So that began a whole long journey of exploring and just finding people that needed help and in, in areas that I was drawn to. So Ken is actually my third venture since then. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a little What while. were the first two? So first business was, it's funny because like the common thread throughout has been community building like being with my people. And I, the first job, the first company that I launched that created jobs for others 
was an agency called Hey Socialites that was all about helping nonprofits, first and foremost, to leverage social media to get marketing. And this was like pre, I mean, Facebook did not have a paid strategy at this point. Let's put it that way. What year was this? Oh my gosh, this must have been 2007, 2008. Super early, yeah. So like, right? Like Twitter is just coming on the scene. Foursquare was major where I lived. Actually, I was in Miami at the time. So there was just so much just like fertile energy around this space. And I was a marketer at heart, brand builder. And so I was like, all right, let's go. Let's tell these beautiful stories, Jack and Jill and Museum of Modern Art and all these people that I had already sort of naturally gravitated towards and was helping in my other life in the banking world. And so it was just a matter of saying, hey, let me help you expand your budget and actually reach the people that you're trying to speak to. and that sort of led to better understanding the problems that the people that they were serving had and where they were showing up. And I think that just led to a natural curiosity for me around like what people are dealing with on a day-to-day basis and, you know, then reflecting on my own experience through that. Right. So yeah, that was, that was the first. The second was focused on bringing wellness experiences to uncommon places. So mostly travel, you know, places where it's like you have to be, but no one's there supporting you on your wellness journey and to, to maintain your regimens, to discover new product and ideas and practitioners. And so I ended up losing my grandmother to type 2 diabetes about six or seven years after I launched Hey Socialites. Now I can call it this sort of upward spiral that I then embarked upon trying to understand my own philosophy on well-being. You know, so now we're bring it to like 2000. Yeah, this must have been 2011, 2012, and then ended up launching my next business, which was focused on bringing technologies, products, different modalities to uncommon spaces. So it's focused mostly on hospitality. And that was really, really an eye-opening experience for me. It was like, oh, wow. When people travel, they're like, everything's out the door. (laughs) It doesn't matter what I'm doing at home. I'm going to drink the drink. I'm going to eat the steak. I'm going to do all the things. Not that that's bad, but there's a reason why you get home and you feel like absolute garbage. And so that was kind of my um, my true formal introduction into like, okay, there has to be a new way and we can start sharing these innovations with people when they're captive in this like in this moment where they're considering. Neurologically speaking, your mind is much more open to trying new experiences when you're traveling. So that for us was like the get. And then it was like, let's just provide the best that we possibly can. How did you know when it was time to start a new business, stop a business? Do you start these businesses at the same time? I mean, there's no real logic to it outside of like, it's time, you know, like you've done the research, you've gone as far as you can. As a Virgo, I need to be told like, it's never going to be perfect. So just get it out there. You have to build it before you fly it. You have to trust in the fact that if you're building something true to you and true to an audience that you intend to serve, that it will find its way. Um, and preparation is key, I think, on the financial side, for sure. You want to know that you have the resources to to get things out or the partners or the ability to get the resources, for sure. But I think from an idea standpoint, the beauty is in co-creating it with your, with your people. So that's the approach that we've always taken. What was the difference for you between starting a service-based business and then having the idea to now move on to LaunchKin? I still see Kin as a service-based business. 
Very much so. I mean, you know, I look at the products that we make, I look at the problems that we're solving, and it's very much about listening. It's very much about sharing my own true experience. Like Kin was the first time that I felt like I'm living what my core audience and what my core guest is looking to solve for. So we're in this together. You know, I really didn't come at it like this sassy entrepreneur with all the answers. And like, it was like, I actually have no idea I'm navigating this actively. Do you want to navigate this together? I just happen to have amazing biochemists and access to food science that's ha- that's never touched beverage before. So let's go for it. We have this really incredible, very powerful engine to create things that have never existed. Let's do it together. And so that's really how Ken was born. It was very much like a collaboration between our beta group and I would just pluck them from everywhere, the bar, the gym, you know, old friends that hit up with college friends being like, you used to drink a lot. What's going on with you today? <laughs> oh, I'm in recovery or I'm still drinking a lot. What's up? And so it was like just meeting people on whatever journey and path that they were with love and acceptance and an immense, immense amount of curiosity. What was the process like to develop the first Kin products? It was a lot of slinging drinks. I mean, it was a lot of burning arms and carrying liquid around through New York City. I mean, it was literally, you know, I just for further background for the audience, you know, I spent at this point, you know, a year and a half immersed in Ayurvedic studies. So herbology, psychology with a focus on trauma and addiction. So I was eating, living, breathing, studying this every single day. And so these concoctions were being born of my home kitchen. They were being born of essentially a benchtop lab that we had set up in Seattle. They were, you know, we were getting different samples from different manufacturers and things to try and and put together. I had an amazing flavor scientist in Brooklyn, who some of our some of the uh, the upstarts that came after us actually tapped for help as well. So there's a reason why a lot of the products that came after Kin are very similar to ours in terms of flavor and style. And that's exciting. I mean, all of that was like incredibly, I don't know, I'm a newness junkie. I'm realizing the more I tell my story, the more I'm like, damn, I would never have wanted to follow in the footsteps of anyone. I just don't care to. I like, I really have to blaze the path, even though it's painful as sin. I have to put something out there that's brand new and let people react to it. And I think it's because literally God in the universe knows that I can handle it. I can handle the rejection. I can handle the feedback. I don't give a shit. If you don't like something, I'll be like, oh my God, amazing. Tell me more. Like, okay, what were you doing before? And okay, what do you normally eat? And what I just love it. I literally am insatiable on curiosity. So being first in something is important to me because if it doesn't exist in the world, how can you know if you need it? You know, how can you know if it's going to improve your life? Have you always been that way? Are you a firstborn? Yeah, <laughs> the first. <laughs> <laughs> I am. You hit it on the head. Yeah, I think always pushing my. You know, my mom's. You know, an immigrant and a family, and my entire mom's side of the family, and they all came from Cuba in the late sixties, and so that's why I say there's a lot of enterprising in our family. But it was like they always, you know, they always pushed me to push them to be better, and so I think I always had that in in mind. Is like. Whatever I do, it's going to improve the world and it's going to uplift women and give them back their power. And I was always hell-bent on that for sure. So that kind of was the the motive, I would say, now that I 
have five years to look back on it. <laughs> it's always so fun to like be able to take that time to think about everything that happened in the past and be like, oh, I did this because I'm this way or this happened. And sometimes we forget to just take those moments to like think about those past things and even celebrate all of the great things that are happening now because we're just like, go, go, go onto the next thing. And it's so important as founders, entrepreneurs to always do that. It's really true because you're always evolving. Your journey is always changing. So it's like going back to your core and then stress testing. Oh, was my gut right? Was my intuition guiding me? towards the right thing. Yes. And we have to pivot this way. We have to adjust this way. And this is how to make it better. But always going back to that, oh, gee, the root intention is so key. When, what year did you originally launch? And what was your initial launch strategy? Yeah, so we were in beta for two years. And I would say we had like a rolling launch strategy in the sense that, you know, we we went out with three different formulations. We tested this live in the wild at parties. We threw our own, you know, conscious collaboration, conscious connection festival with Ruby Warrington and be at Simpkin. Yeah, that was really fun. That was, that was super impactful. It was like 800 people just sampling the drinks all day and layering in self-discovery, healing, like deep healing work and fun, right? We like had dance parties. We did like I mean, there were all these incredible treatments and things that people were were diving in on. And then they were connecting throughout the event as well. And so that was a really interesting sort of living lab experience that we did probably four or five months before our formal launch. And then best laid plans, right? We had this great dry January strategy in 2000 and for slated for January 2019. Um, which is essentially like right before, it was right before I think Ruby's book hadn't even come out yet on Sober Curious. No one was really talking about this the way that they are today, three years later, it's or four years later. It's amazing to see how much it's grown. And so we were like ready. We're like, we're going to come out. We're going to make dry January thing. And then Vogue calls us on December 5th, 2018. And they're like, well, we're taking your story live. We don't care if you're in press embargo, get ready. And I mean, none of my businesses prior relied on press to be successful. And so I think I intuitively was like, you know what, this could be big because I think this is the audience who's going to tell us yay or nay. You know, these are the tastemakers. These are the the early adopters, if you will. And um, I think this will strike a chord. And so we essentially truncated three weeks of web dev into three hours. And got our shop up. You weren't even officially live yet. We were not live. We were planning on January 1, 2019. So when they called us first week of December, we were like, oh shit. We literally were like, my copywriter was writing confirmation emails for purchases. Like finalizing that type of minutia the last minute. Because we were so built, you know, so bent on building the experience first. You know, the drink. And so we got that all done. And then as soon as the article went live, I'm not even kidding you, as soon as it went live, bing, bing, bing. I don't know if you guys have a Shopify Shop- site. Oh, yeah. The slot machine sound. <laughs> oh, yeah. We yes. love that sound. <laughs> and I left it on for three days until it like finally drove me crazy. And I'm like, this is the best luxury ever. Like I, I have to shut this off because it's nonstop. It's literally waking me up in the night. So we are so lucky. I mean, like like I said, it, it really did strike the right nerve. And I encourage anyone who's not familiar with Ken to look that article up. It, it was so special. And it was such a divine moment. Corey Seymour, who is the Culture Beat editor for Vogue, 
is such a special human. And I took him out for how this whole thing happened. I took him out for drinks and I was like, I of course fed him Ken the whole time. That's what we drink. And he was like, honey, trust me. I know my way around euphoria. I toured with Metallica. Okay. I was an editor for the Rolling Rolling Stone magazine. I know euphoria. And we had this really rich philosophical discussion around what true pleasure is, what true euphoria is. The fact that euphoria as a term, as an experience was hijacked by drug culture back in the fifties and sixties, how it's a huge departure, how we use it today from how it was originally intended, which was euphoros to bear well within phoros, the state of being you state of being within ecstasis which is outside stasis outside yourself is ecstasy high out of your mind we don't use euphoria that way today to mean i'm just great i feel great within i'm high on life i woke up feeling like a million bucks that's euphoria and so i was like i want to bring that back to the people and he's like well let's see if you can bring it back to me he left there went to go take a music lesson and literally the article is like, music sounded better in my ears. <laughs> Fun fact about Corey too, he was a protege of Hunter S. Thompson, literally leaving Las Vegas. So you go on a trip with him when you read this article. And that was like, that was the origin of Ken. That was when we were truly born. Wow. So it's pretty magical. Did you get to read the article before it came out or you were reading it no. right when it went live? Yeah. We didn't have that privilege yet. It was literally the first media piece of media on the company pretty much at all. I mean, we had been doing some social media stuff for our events and things, but that was truly the first piece and it was earth shattering. We haven't had anything like it since. Yeah. You haven't been on the Entrepreneurista podcast yet, so let's see. I know. Now (laughs) here we go. This is the next one. (laughs) Up next, Jen shares her learning lessons from her fundraising journey. Prior to that article, did you raise any money yet? Yeah, yeah. So we had bootstrapped essentially the first year and main the main development was all bootstrapped and funded by us directly. And so that was the big take. The big ask was like, can we create a product that we ourselves would stand in line for? And if so, that's when we'll go to investors. You know, it wasn't like I wanted to raise in on an idea. I had no interest in doing that because we're talking about CPG. CPG, it's got to look good. It's got to do what it says it's going to do. And it's got to taste great. So for us, it was very much like, let's get to a place where we're proud of this thing if we can achieve it. You know, I think what we were asking of ourselves, what we were asking of our partners, our scientists, of the biotechnology that was available at that time for products like ours was a lot. I mean, we were told it was a lot. We had one of our labs who we still work with today, Legacy Legends. I love them. Legacy partner of ours. They were like, look, you cannot get the amount of actives that you're looking to get in a 60 milliliter shot, right? So I was essentially trying to make a pound for pound spirit that could pour easily, that could you know, essentially take the guesswork out for the bartender. So they knew, okay, cool. Just like I would pour a shot of whatever, Aperol, analogous thing that they would use. This is how I treat Kim. One, one and a half ounces. And they told us it couldn't be done for like six months. And then they figured it out. And that was when the magic, that's when we knew, okay, this is, this is going to work. So 
that was the big the big ask. And then we went out and we raised money from some future fund, future food funds. One of them called Fifty Year. Shout out Seth and Ella, amazing, amazing people. These are the people backing the biggest ideas that will change the world for the next fifty years. Memphis Meats, food technologies, robotics, and we were their first and only future drink investment. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, can you share your learning lessons from the, your fundraising process? Oh my gosh. I mean, what I always say is like, don't forget you fundraise for a season, right? Like every fundraising season is different. And so I think what people sort of forget is that it's never going to look the same as you continue to grow. You got to keep growing with the business. You got to get smarter about your finances. You got to get smarter about what your customer wants. And so I think that's also true for how you recruit the people that you're pitching, it's a really fun and interesting dance. I think one of the things, one of the lessons that I learned early is like, there might be people throwing money at you, but giving yourself the window, it's like everybody says, raise when you don't need to raise, right? And that's really true, mostly because, first of all, people don't like investing in desperation, but also it gives you the time to recruit the right investor. If you're not recruiting actively, you're not vetting these investors, you're going to end up with a cap table that has no idea how to support you down the line. Just people that were me too's, I want in, you seem cool, this idea, and just kind of latching on to that early energy. I find that you only really end up with investors like that when you're in a pinch and not prepared and you haven't done the recruitment work necessary to actually pull in the dream investors. So recruit pull in, call, build relationship with dream investors when you don't need the money. That is the ultimate for me, what I wish I knew five years ago. That's what I was going to say. Did you learn that by going through the experience or did someone give you that advice when you first started? No, I, I learned it by going through Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing with our amazing entrepreneurs listeners who are planning to raise capital or actively raising capital right now, because this is how we all learn by having these conversations and hearing all of your your learning lessons and what you wish you knew when you first started. Are there other things from your journey that you know now that you wish you knew on day one of starting the company? I mean, you know, I think for me, it's it boils down to, I think one of the hardest things about entrepreneurship is managing people. And I think it it really boils down to what kind of energy you want to bring to the business every day, the product every day, because you can have the best salesperson on earth. If they're not bringing the right energy for the rest of the team, that will trickle into literally your product experience. And so that's something that I wish I would have understood early on that would have made managing people, continuing to maintain an incredible dynamic with the team much easier. There's this like mandate. I think that's the other thing is like get ahead of your org chart. There's this mandate from investors, especially when they come in new, like, oh, I'm going to help you recruit this person. You need strength here. You need to shore up things here. And that might be the case, but don't forget about your culture. And that is so, so critical. It's such a key part of your DNA as a maker, as an entrepreneur, whether you're doing a service, you know, you're a service provider, traditionally speaking, or making a product. It's like, that will always find its way to the end user. If you don't check it early, girl, that will take over your life. <laughs> it's it's really such great advice. And it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs shares. You got to be be mindful of your culture and people who don't fit into the culture can ruin it. 
what types of questions do you ask now to assess whether or not someone's a fit for your culture? And what do you know now is an absolute not a fit for your culture? You know, what's funny is I started asking a question that is extremely heady, but really revealing really quickly. And it's, what are the top three things you believe about yourself? It is one of the most revealing questions about everything, about the character of the person, how they would treat others, where they're going to overcompensate or undercompensate for certain things. And you can really tell. I mean, when somebody just starts going off and off and off, you can tell where someone's like maybe a little uncomfortable by the question because they haven't self-reflected in that way. And you're like really putting them on the spot. But I mean, if you're disarming and you and it comes from a place of love and it comes from a place of let's learn about each other and, and really I'm here to understand the root of you, I think you get a lot out of that. I, I've never gotten, I've gotten so much more out of that than I would have ever gotten from just like, poking and prodding a resume. So I think it's just like hire for the people you would want to hang out with. I really think that's true. You don't have to be best friends with your employees, but you do have to want to answer a call from them (laughs) when they're calling. That's just real life. (laughs) That is such a great point. And also that question, what are the top three things you believe about yourself? I just wrote it down in my notes. I'm so glad our podcast is recorded because taking this back to every interview. So thank you, Jed. There you go. Yeah, I hope it I hope it reveals something. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like we're all human beings, you know, we're all struggling with our thing. And I think if you can find somebody who's immensely, who is brave enough to be vulnerable with you, you know that there's already a trust there. There's already a willingness, at least, to be the real version of you. And, you know, I always say, if it gets said, it gets healed. What gets revealed gets healed. And I believe that all the way from the interview process. I don't want to find things out 90 days later. Um, so it's just having the having the warmth of love to ask the hard-hitting questions, even if it's hard-hitting for the person internally, I think is, is a powerful move. Yeah, I love that. Definitely going to ask that question from now on. Coming up, learn how Jen forms a business partnership with Bella Hadid and the learning lessons that you can take away. And speaking about building your team, we know that Bella Hadid is one of your co-founders. Would love to know how that all came to be and how you structured bringing on a co-founder, let alone a celebrity co-founder, after you started. Yeah. I mean, it was a very weighted decision and it took a long time for us to announce because we just wanted to make sure that we were matching pitch on not only energy, that was a no-brainer the second we met, but also that, you know, there was an understanding, like, here's where we are. We're still a baby in our business, right? She came in almost two years after launch, but we're still, as an innovation company, we were just still scratching the surface on who we were going to be when we grow up. So is there the flexibility to sort of nurture what's there as opposed to impose a will or impose a certain energy, knowingly or unknowingly? And then vice versa, can we be good partners in turn? And so we spent about a year sussing that out, discussing ideas, meeting each other's families. I mean, we did the whole bit. Dating. (laughs) Yes, 100%. But it came about uh, very fortuitously, you know, she was a huge Kin fan. I mean, she was a super user since we launched Spritz, which would have been six months after launch. 
So funny enough, she had already been organically posting about the brand. Like, you know, this is my superpower. I drink this before an interview. You know, we now have this like loving memory of her. She had interviewed Virgil for a podcast and she like showed a picture of her drinking a spritz beforehand. Now, of course, he's no longer with us, but it's just like we've lived so much life in this short span and Ken is sort of the thing that's brought us through so much of it both the business and our relationship, but also the drinks, which, you know, just speaks, I think, to the power of and importance of what we're building and what and what we're making. And the fact that she was so versed in the herbs, everything that we were putting in the drinks, why we were creating and crafting with these ingredients, and that they had benefited her life was huge, huge, huge. So yeah, it was really exciting. I mean, you know, she came to us, her team, at WME was all in as well. They were just, you know, they had started a little venture arm. So they were like, look, you know, we want to back you in this as well. And so skin in the game was important to me. Structuring this in a way that was friendly to the business and that gave us options was important to me. I was sharing before we started recording, you know, up until that point, we're talking now, by the time we ink the deal, yeah, we had, we had been commercially in business for two and a half years. We'd been at it now since 2016, we announced in 2021. So I had no interest. And at that point had spent $0 on influencer marketing. So I had no interest. And that was the first thing I told Ari to (laughs) discussing the deal. I was like, I don't have celebrity money. (laughs) You have to figure this out. If we really want to work together, it's going to have to be, you know, and he's just stopped me right there. And he was like, look, it's not even, don't worry about that. Bella just wants to help however she can, if you'll have her. And she said the same thing to me. So it had to feel really authentic, warts and all. How do we want to improve upon the business? So it had to be this like open communication, you know, everything about how the relationship developed, everything about how the contract was written was like bringing us deeper together into collaboration and working together as opposed to, okay, Bella, five posts here and this marketing campaign. It was never about that. It was like, all right, how can we bring the spirit of what, you know, what you love about Ken and what I'm trying to do, what I was trying to do from the start forward into the future. And that's essentially what it's been since day one. I imagine it would feel like so scary to feel like you're giving away part of your company that you've worked so hard for the past five years and you haven't done a deal like this before to like sign on the dotted line and make that decision. Did you have advisors or other people on your team that were helping to walk you through the process to figure out the best way to structure this type of deal and that it would ultimately be in the best interest for you and for the business? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we had great counsel. We had, you know, I mean, my CFO was along for the ride the entire way. There was a lot to consider in the fine print, certainly, but I honestly think Bella and I just went heart first into the partnership. I never felt for a second that sense of losing something. I just felt like everything was being further enhanced. And, you know, the first thing that I understood about how this partnership would help the mission of Kin, right, which which has always been to make sure it outlives us all, that it continues to serve our children's and our children's children. And I think for me, the big eye opener was like, Bella's going to usher in this next generation of Kin drinker, the Gen Z, the Gen Alpha, right? Like, So we have to structure this in a way that we really believe that this is the route. And, you know, she was going through some stuff in her career and personal life. And I was going through my, you know, this was sort of like, this is the year we make it entering the third year of business. 
And so there was a lot at stake. And I think we both just said, I've got your back. And, you know, we never looked back. There are obvious benefits to partnering with Bella or any celebrity, but what are the not so obvious benefits of working with someone like Bella? What does a celebrity bring to the table that's beyond just promotion? It's so hard because everything I think of is so specific to her. She's such a special human being. Um, She just has her finger on the pulse on everything culture. She's not afraid. She just has this energy that, you know, she'll go into wherever bagatelle and be like why don't you guys have kin this is crazy i didn't like you know she's like let me tell you all the benefits and you know she'll go in and there's one thing for your team to be hustling their ass off and there's another to see like bella hadid restocking the fridge at gotham gym and she means it you know it's just it's not just for funsies like she's out there like making sure the cans are face out <laughs> like you know making sure j-law walks out with her light wave after her workout because this is her baby and she wants her to try it and you know i mean it's just like the little things that you don't really ever get to see that aren't publicized that aren't shared outside of intimate conversations like this it's just like that is really where the magic happens that honestly can't be manufactured so i think there's like there's this halo effect that happens that drives further credibility among certain people that are are telling great stories and are doing great things. When I think about celebrity, what my hope would be for the celebrities that any of your entrepreneurs are considering is that they're the top of their game. They're celebrity for a reason, right? They're high performers. They're active. They're always thinking about their craft or their trade. And it is so infectious to be around that energy. So as an entrepreneur, Energy is one of those resources that you can't get enough of. And if you have someone that is like that, find a way to channel their passion for your product and the energy and fire that they bring to their work into the company culture. You know, I think that's what's always struck people when we sit down with Dr. Andy Weil or anyone that we've ever done an interview with, like Bella's love and passion for what we're building, her knowledge of the, of the ingredients. It's not scripted. And I think a lot of people see that and that's why they gravitate towards and are excited by this collaboration. From a legal perspective, what did you learn about the different options and ways to be able to structure these type of agreements and deals with celebrities or even some really big influencers that are looking to heavily get involved in a business and have equity in the business? Yeah, I mean, there's a hundred different types of ways to structure a deal like this. And what I can say is that the celebrity doesn't act alone right? I think there's a lot to be said for sussing out the surrounding area. <laughs> you know, who are the people that are in charge of her time, her talent, her clothes? I mean, literally, every you should know everybody that touches that person's time and what they spend their days doing because you will ultimately be needing to get their advocacy and or their understanding and flexibility when you need to take priority, right? So, I think the biggest thing for the contract structure was Bella's manager being involved and there being this mandate around meetings. And, you know, that was very important because it was like, don't forget, this is also a job. Like, this is a passion. And it's great that, like, the fun stuff is posts and and things and, and press that we do. But the day to day grind, I need support from management that, you know, Bella can take a meeting while she's on set for Michael Kors if she has to. Do you know what I mean? And so everybody sort of has to be involved at that level. So the more you can work them into the contract, the better, because 
they need to know they have a role as well. And with that, I think um, incentives are important. Having incentives aligned across the across the the entire organization that they're working with is really, really important just because you want them to feel warm and fuzzy too. When Ken's winning, they're winning. It's not like, oh, Bella's spending time with Ken, so now she can't spend time with Swarovski, you know? No, it's not that. It's, you know, there are finite amount of hours in the day, but we're all benefiting when her profile goes up, when her work is meaningful on Ken, everything, you know, gets elevated. So it's helping them see eye to eye early on, but also making sure it's in the contract. That's very, very, very helpful. What question I have for you is thinking back on since the time that you started Kin, is there a particular mistake that you can think of that was your biggest learning lesson? And I know being an entrepreneur, you make tons of mistakes, but is there one really like a terrible moment in the past five years that everyone can learn from? Oh my gosh. I mean... (laughs) <laughs> what do I choose? <laughs> there are so many lessons learned. All right. You're, you're top three, Jen. <laughs> oh my God. I know. I'm like, it's, it's funny because I'm like, it's like wistfully looking down memory lane because honestly, like every single mistake we've ever made has made us so much better and it's made the industry better. I mean, that, that is the one thing about like going and trying something on for size and being willing to fail that makes, you know, what you're doing and the people following in your footsteps better, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, there's so many. Let's say, let's talk about format. Launching multiple formats, glass and can. I mean, this is like getting into the weeds on it, right? But launching multiple formats before having true distribution networks for both, right? Just saying, oh, it'll work. If it works in DTC, it'll work everywhere. It is so expensive to market, make, distribute, sell multiple products in different formats super expensive, especially if it's liquid. I mean, that's a whole nother thing. If you're looking to launch a beverage, please hit me up. I will tell you everything we've ever learned. So I think that's a funny one that I always was interested in. And I always said no to can. And then it was like, well, we have to make a can because all of our customers want cans. We call them guests. All of our guests are saying, I need a really mobile, really convenient format. And so we wanted to lean into that. But then it was like, do we ditch bottles? Now what do we do? Right. And so now we have, thankfully it all came out, you know, it all, it all shook out in the end, but trying to juggle that while juggling growth means that you have to prioritize first on the operational side, second on the marketing and sales side. That's never what you want to do with a business, right? You want to know that you have a core skew. That's your horse, get it going, grow it as fast as you can, and then start layering in the nuance. That would be my biggest advice. It might not work for every company, every idea, every you know business structure. But to me, that was one of the big ones early on. And it's funny because now you see a lot of our copycats that just launched exactly the same thing we did. And I'm like, no, don't do it, Katy Perry. <laughs> <laughs> Has that been hard for you? Like, I know, you know, you're the leader and you built the category and set the stage. But when you see people doing, trying to copy exactly what you've done, like, how do you handle that as, as oh a founder? Gosh. Are you kidding me? I reach out. Hopefully they reach out. I just say, dude, congrats. The movement needs more energy. We need more players. I'm very close to Melanie Masserine from Gia, the Flyers folks that make a CBD THC drink you should try. I am so proud of this category. It's bonkers. I love most everyone that plays in this in the sandbox. I think where there are some players that come, they act brand new. 
they're creating a cheaper version of what we're doing. They're not acknowledging sort of like, it's so weird to say this, but there is a lineage now around this this category. There is. There are incredible makers. Graham from Tennyson with his black ginger spirit. I mean, the people from, oh my gosh, I always want to call it Eva Spritz because that's my favorite product that they make. But for bitter or worse, I mean, it's this incredible couple of crafters. They make all their own extracts. These are the most thoughtful makers I've literally ever come across. So when there's a player that comes on the scene that doesn't acknowledge, doesn't come in on the scene with humility, sort of just like slaps a label on, is exact replica of Ken and then acts brand new, like it didn't exist before. That definitely like, it's like, okay, I see, I see this and I wish you well, but it sucks because I wish you would know that it's all about collaboration, not competition. Totally. We're here for each other. You know how many drinkers we can reach? Millions of drinkers. 43% of drinking age Americans do not drink alcohol and 27% are considering drinking less. Do you know how many people? I can't serve them all. I, we say all the time at Entrepreneurisa, there's enough business to go around for everyone. If we can all share our learning, support each other, everyone can win. 100%. And if you're pre-launch and you're coming to me, you know, I mean, I, I can send you literally hundreds of entrepreneurs who have reached out to me on Instagram, LinkedIn, asking me pre-launch what their advice, what my advice would be. And I've just said, go serve your community, no matter how niche you think it is, the truth will set you free as a business owner. Literally, it will set your product on a pedestal. You're doing something new. The audience, the guests, right? That person who's going to vote with their dollars deserves that. They deserve that thing because no one's speaking to them. You know what I mean? I mean, look at what Mike's been able to do with Liquid Death. Amazing what he's been able to do. And he's and he literally says, I just talk to weirdos, right? I'm a weirdo. I talk to weirdos. And it's funny that he says that. Obviously, it's all in gist, but he's right. These are folks that like water companies never spoke to. So good on him for what he's doing. Good on everyone for, you know, coming out and being brave enough to create something. I hope we see a lot more brands come out. I really do. Jen, thank you so much for sharing that and your whole story and journey. Actually, this is just a fraction of your story and journey. There's so much more to, I feel like, unpack and share. And we'll chat offline after we finish recording, but would love to have you come host an office hours for our community. And you can invite all of the founders who are reaching out to you for advice to to come to it so we can share more of your story with the community because it's so incredible everything that you have accomplished over the past, now I've lost track of time, 2023 minus 2013, (laughs) eight years, (laughs) eight plus years, seven, eight, nine years. I think everything after 2020, we've lost track of time. But seriously, it's, it's so remarkable. And you are making such a difference for the world and the product that you've created and the commitment and dedication and the probably the hard, sometimes sleepless nights. Don't do not go unnoticed. So congrats on everything (laughs) that you've done. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Oh my God. I'm going to come on here every week just to get this like love. (laughs) I appreciate it. Oh yeah. That's what this is all about. And we're, we're very thankful that you gave Pearl an allocation. I'm definitely a proud investor of, of Ken. Incredibly, incredibly honored that you guys are on board. Truly like need more women on my cap table need more great stories and great supporters. So thank you for being there. Jen, last question for you, or second to last question for you. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Oh, it means the world. It means the power to change the world for my daughter, for my son. Who knows? I might, maybe there's more coming. 
My husband wants four more. <laughs> it just means agency. And it's such an honor to be an entrepreneur. It really is an entrepreneurista. Love it. Where can everyone find you, follow you? And for those that would like to try Kin for the first time, where should they head over to do so? And we'll link out to everything you share in the show notes below. Find me in the lab, find me in the farmer's market and slide into my DMs, please. I really do answer them. Jen of Kin on Instagram and LinkedIn. And then, yeah, if you want to email me, that's easier. JB at kinuforks.com. Amazing. Jen, thank you for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm-hmm.